This is the On The Banks podcast. Follow us on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation. Now, here's your host, Lance Glenn. Hello, everyone. I am, of course, your host, Lance Glenn, and this is episode 17 of the On The Banks podcast. If you don't already, you can follow me on Twitter at Lance underscore G11. And, of course, you can follow On The Banks on Twitter as well at OTB underscore SB Nation. If you want to listen to any of our previous episodes, you can find them on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. Just search On The Banks Podcast. You can find them on SoundCloud. Just search OTB underscore SB Nation. And, of course, you can find them at OnTheBanks.com. With fall sports underway and the winter season soon beginning, make sure to get all your coverage for every Rutgers sport at OnTheBanks.com. Look, to put it lately, it has been a tough season for the Scarlet Knights football program. You know, halfway through the year, this team is sitting at 1-5. and five. This record, obviously coming after coach Chris Ash, set bowl expectations before the season had started. And look, he wasn't the only one who set these expectations. I, as well as I'm sure a lot of other fans, thought this was a 5-7, and seven, maybe even 6-6 six and six team. I thought that this would be a bowl year for the Scarlet Knights, and I thought the schedule, it set up nicely for them. You know, they had Kansas, Indiana, Maryland, Buffalo— you know, obviously Ohio State in there as well. Texas State to begin the year. I thought the schedule set up where this team could be bowl eligible within the first seven or eight games. And I thought maybe, hey, they could get to seven and five if they were to really show progress and potentially uh, bid to upset Northwestern. But now Rutgers is sitting six games into the year at one and five. They're, they're at the halfway point. There's six games left. But those six games, five of them are obviously against the top teams in the Big Ten, Northwestern, Penn State, Michigan, Michigan State, and of course, Wisconsin. Where does the program go from here? With the second half of the season soon to commence, what changes need to be made? What should Rutgers fans look forward to with these six games remaining? It's tough to ask because you you try to pick out anything positive to take into the 2019 season, and there hasn't been much of it. What changes need to be made, as I said before? What are some positives from the first half of the season? What positives should Rutgers fans look forward to in the second half of the season? Are there players Rutgers fans should keep an eye on, younger players, older players? Who should Rutgers look to to improve in this last, in these last six games to give them some kind of hope for the 2019 season? Because right now, there is not much hope for the 2019 season. So Rutgers fans need something to kind of turn the tide and give them that hope so that they can kind of look forward to 2019 and end 2018 with not such a bitter taste in their mouth. And I think that's kind of what needs to be answered. Those questions need to be answered with the six remaining games here in the 2018 year. Now, let's talk to the reporters. Here's your host, Lance Glenn. To try and answer all the questions as to why the Scarlet Knights are 1-5 and and what they could do in the second half of the season to give Rutgers fans some hope for the 2019 year, I am now pleased to be joined by the managing editor and football writer for On the Banks, Aaron Brightman. Aaron, thank you so much for joining me on this episode. Well, thank you, Lance, for having me. And uh, I hope, uh, you know, this isn't torture for, for, for us, but, uh, you know, you've been doing an amazing job, and I'm, I'm honored to, uh, to be on this uh, episode. <laughs> well, thank you for that. And I want to start the, the episode with a little bit of a comparison here, right? I, I want to I get your thoughts. You know, look, Chris Ash is in his third year 
one and five to begin this season. We're halfway through it. There's six games left, and obviously, you know, we know who they play in the second half of the year. They they play the big boys of the Big Ten, and it's going to be very tough to pull out a second win in their really last remaining six games. You know, you've been a Rutgers fan longer than I have. You follow the program longer than I have. I'm not saying you're old, but you're definitely you're older than I am. <laughs> <laughs> Just give me your thoughts. What would you compare this to? in terms of previous Rutgers regimes. You know, I know obviously Greg Schiano had issues his first five or his first four years and then made a bowl game his fifth year. Obviously Terry Shea, you know, how would you compare what Chris Ash has done so far to, you know, previous Rutgers regimes and previous Rutgers head coaches? So I you know, I remember how I felt watching this team uh back in the the nineties during the Shea era. Uh I was actually a student at Rutgers. Uh so yes, I you, you could I'm dating myself there, but um, I was a student in the late 90s uh, during Shea's first four seasons, and um, I remember what it felt like to watch that team. You know, they and I, I went back and, and looked at some scores just to kind of generate that memory. Uh, you know, and, and, and there there were some rough scores like there were there, but that like there are now. However, you know, I, I looked. You know, they played at Texas. I remember watching Ricky Williams run all over Rutgers. You know, they lost 48 to 14. Well, Rutgers just lost at Kansas. Uh, even worse, and there was no Ricky Williams on the field. You know, they had some embarrassing losses. They lost to Notre Dame 62 to nothing. Um, I remember uh, going to, to uh, they hosted Syracuse when they had Donovan McNabb. I think Rutgers was like a 35-point underdog. I ended up betting that game. They lost 50 to 3. I remember that loss. So um, there were some bad losses, um, but I think a big difference in now to then was expectations. I think Rutgers was it was in the Big East. It was uh, about seven years old at that point. They hadn't had a winning season yet. They were five five and one under Doug Graber. Uh, I think ninety four. Uh, that was their best season. So I think while it was hard to watch and people were very upset with uh, Terry Shea and just the way the program was, I don't think the pressure and the expectations were where uh, they are now post two thousand six uh, with that that team, um, and then joining the Big Ten. And, you know, I think the 2014, you know, the, the year that uh, allegedly Flood may have sold the soul to the devil, and Rutgers, everything went right for them that season, and they went 8-5. and five. I think those two seasons in particular have raised expectations, and there's a generation of Rutgers fans that, that, that haven't been through the losing like this that a lot of older fans have. And I think that that is, um, and, and I'm purely uh, 100% jealous of that, by the way, uh, <laughs> criticism. Uh, for, for Rutgers fans that 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 grew up, you know, uh, for a decade basically, Rutgers going to a bowl game, yeah. you know, that that was a foreign thing for so many Rutgers fans that uh, have seen this before, and I think that uh, the other perspective that you have to look at is 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 not that Rutgers is one in five, and I think to be honest with you, and Ash's presser yesterday, I, I think that's where he is missing kind of the, the, the point in terms of where Rutgers fans are so upset. It's not that you're one in five. It's how you're one in five and who you're one in five against. And I think that, for me, I, I went back, I looked at uh, Shiano's second year, so 2002. They went one in 11. They played four teams in the top 11 that were ranked at the time, Miami, Virginia Tech, Notre Dame, and Tennessee, three of which were on the road. And the average score of those games was 39 to 11. The only game they really got embarrassed was Notre Dame. They lost 42 to nothing. The other games, it was 35-14, 35-14. 
Uh, and then the Miami loss, which uh, uh, Rutgers fans will remember, was that amazing game where they were number one in the country and Rutgers actually was winning into the fourth quarter. So they got blown out the last 10 minutes. But that was a point where Rutgers fans could say, hey, there might be something here with Greg Schiano. You know, there, there were signs. And I think that's the troubling part about year three with Ash is that there's been a major regression from last year. I, I, I thought that he did a good job last year. I think there were, um, in terms of gutting out those three wins uh, in the conference play, and, and it obviously brought everyone's expectations up, but he's also guilty of raising those expectations. Well, I was, just, I was just about to say, you know, do you think Ash kind of put pressure on himself? Because you look back uh, before the season started, I think it was at the Big Ten Media Days, and he said that this team very well could make a bowl game, that he that he had bowl expectations and that he was putting bowl expectations into the minds of these players. So, look, you know, obviously I'm sure he, as well as many other Rutgers fans, thought this season was going to go a completely different direction than it has. But the fact that they, he put so much pressure on this team to begin with, do you think he really at that con- at that point was kind of his own worst enemy by putting such high expectations on a team that, yeah, they improved last year, but they still only won four games. I do. I think that, I think it's a great point, Lance. I think, I think it was that comment about, you know, saying that a bowl game is, is the reasonable expectation for year three. It was also, I think the comment that he made that the program is on track heading into year three. And I think now uh, that he's, you know, and, and I know he's saying they're not excuses. I mean, they, they are facts. It, it is a very young team. I, I wrote going into the year, I looked it up. It was, uh, I think, 72% of the roster is redshirt sophomore or younger. Obviously, they're having depth issues now, but a lot of those problems with depth are, you know, in a way his own doing in terms of they're all his recruits. Obviously, injuries uh, to key players have been a factor, but, you know, that happens every season. And I think that having that expectation um, has really created more of the anger from fans and, and the disappointment um, because he, he said, yeah, this is, this is a team that should be competing for a bowl game. And I think that we all, I, I, you know, we did a lot of polls on the site. You did on, on Twitter. You know, I, I think fans' expectations are reasonable going into the season. I think if they had even won just four games this year, uh, five, you know, and, and been in the mix a little bit, you know, for a bowl game, that would have been okay in year three. I, I don't think, I think that's the difference. I don't think fans are expecting miracles. You know, I don't think they're being impatient in the sense of, you know, we're expecting to compete, you know, uh, for a Big Ten title anytime soon. It's just respectability. And I think that's the sad part about where we're at is, you know, this program is in worse shape than it is respectability-wise, competitive-wise, than when Ash took over. I, I agree. And, you know, you talk about just being in those games, you know, against the Big Ten, the upper echelon of the Big Ten, you know, being competitive. And, you know, the only team that they really played that is in that group is Ohio State. And obviously that game wasn't competitive. And, you know, I look back in the 2004 season of, of Greg Schiano, and, you know, that was the season they lost to New Hampshire. But the week before that, they beat Michigan State. So it's like, yes, obviously that season didn't go, I'm sure, as planned for Greg Schiano. They, I believe, went four and eight. But the fact is they or excuse me, four and seven. But the fact is they still were competitive in those games and they were still playing those big time teams. Granted, they were in the Big East end, but they were still playing a Big Ten team like Michigan State. They were playing them very tough, ended up beating them 19 to 14, lost to New Hampshire the next week. But signs were there that this team was going to start competing with the elite of the, at that time, the Big East in terms of West Virginia. Boston College was in the Big East at that point as well. So the signs showed that they were going to start competing and that it was just really only a matter of time. But at this point, you know, there's really 
really not many positives we can kind of take away from the first six games of this season. That's kind of what I want to talk about next is like Sidkowski at times has looked very shaky, has looked like a freshman, and at times has, you know, looked great. I think in one drive against Illinois, he ended up going 11 for 11 and ended up completing a touchdown pass to Travis Vokalek. That looked awesome. And then there were also the three interceptions against Illinois. So I kind of want to get your take on what are some of the positives that you've kind of taken out from this first half of the season? You know, what are some of the players, uh, some of the moments that you kind of looked at positively and have kind of given you a little bit of hope going into 2019? (laughs) <laughs> That's a tough question. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, listen, I, I, I think for really the most, I don't want to say disturbing, but troubling thing about this team is how bad the defense is. Um, and, you know, when Ash talks about how young this team is, depth, okay, but the majority of the starters are still on the field uh, for this team that were there last year when this defense did make strides. And, you know, it was encouraging. And I think that, uh, that to me is the most alarming sign that hey, you know the, these older players that they, they haven't gotten better. The defense is worse, uh, significantly worse this season. I mean, in terms of tackling, um, stopping the run, uh, positioning, you know, uh, the spacing, they're just they're, they're making a lot of mistakes. And that that's his, you know, that, that that's what Ash is. He's a defensive coach. Um, so to see that is troubling. Now going back to your question. Um, you know, yeah, Sikowski, I think it was hard for people to – I think everybody said, yeah, there's going to be ups and downs. But I think that, you know, maybe not everyone was prepared to live through those ups and downs, I think. Um, but I think the last two weeks, yeah, there's been a lot of encouraging signs. You know, even the Illinois site during the game, they, they had messaged me and said, you know, you can see that this, this kid is – he's going to be a good quarterback. And I think that's that's true. Um, and I think they're doing the right thing. I think he, there's only one way to learn, and it's getting his feet wet in competition, in games. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, it might be costing um, some opportunities uh, this season. But let's be honest, I, I, as much as uh, Gio Racino deserves a ton of credit, and he's a warrior, and he is, I, I don't think this team is any better than 1-5 with him as the starting quarterback the last six games. There's just too many issues on this team. Uh, that that it, it, I don't think there should be any regret. I think it makes sense to go with Sikowski, um because they need to develop a quarterback sooner rather than later, and it's going to put them in somewhat of a better position going into next year. I also think Davidovitz has been a, a, a huge bright spot. Um, you know, special teams overall has been solid. Uh, so I think there's potential there. I think on offense, uh, going back to it, you know, yeah, there's some receivers that have had some flashes. Um, you know, younger guys like Volkolek, like you said, Shamin Jones has had some moments. Bo Melton had a good game against Illinois. Um, you know, we really haven't seen enough of Pacheco yet, uh, but we, we, we should. I think the second half, you need to play him more. But there's some pieces there. There's definitely pieces there. Um, but I think the, the the bigger question for Ash with recruiting is, are there enough younger pieces that can build into a, a solid foundation of being a good team two years from now. You know, and, and honestly, I, I don't know. I don't think we've seen enough younger players have moments um, that, that can give you that clear message that that's the case. And I think, you know, you mentioned the defense at the start, and while the defense has been just brutal this season, and, and you mentioned it, you know, a lot of the starters on that defense – uh, from last year, we're, we're here this year, and the defense last year was good enough to win them three games last year, and it just hasn't showed up this season. I think one positive from the defense this year, or I guess two really, um, Elorm Loomer, when he was healthy, I think at the beginning of the season, uh, was someone who stepped up that Rutgers fans maybe didn't expect to step up. And and the second person has been Mike Tverdov. I think Mike Tverdov has 
uh, really shown something that he could be a real catalyst for this defense going forward on that defensive line. You know, obviously that that was talked about at the beginning of the season as the biggest weakness on the defense. Um, obviously, you know, whether that has come to fruition is, you know, could be argued one way or the other. But I think Mike Tverdov, if you want to take any positives out of that defense, Mike Tverdov ha- has been a, a huge bonus for the Scarlet Knights and has really stepped up after dealing with an injury and redshirting in his freshman year last year. I think he's really stepped up and and has has been a real uh, force for Rutgers. I, I think has had a couple sacks this season already. I think he's been, to take any bright spots away from what has been a bad defensive unit, he's been, I think, one of those really big bright spots. Totally agree. I think the issue is, you need five, six, or seven of, of those types of guys, and they don't have that right now. And I think uh, Tverdov has, has definitely been a bright spot. You know, I, I think uh, uh, against Illinois, Ola Kunle, Fadukazi had a couple nice plays. Um, you know, Ash has raved about Trey Avery for a long time. Obviously, he's having injury issues. You know, these are definitely young guys that are going to build the, the next generation defense for for this team, but I think, especially on the defensive line, you know, you really need to be seeing three or four of, of, of Tverdov's uh, stepping up, and you're not seeing that. I, I think Loomer, yeah, he's had his moments, um, but uh, it, that's the question, is, is the depth, and I think on both lines, you know, it, it's, it's obvious that Rutgers has not improved on either of those areas. I think skill position-wise, yeah, they, they've made, there, there's some promise there. There's some talent there. I don't know if there's enough of it, but there's definitely some signs. But I think on both lines, and, and, and let's be honest, in this game, you know, it's the line of scrimmage, the battle in the trenches is where you're ultimately going to get better. And um, if they if they don't, I mean, right now with the recruiting class, there's zero defensive linemen, you know, uh, committed for next season. That's a problem. So uh, I, I think that, yeah, there's some encouraging signs, but uh, honestly it's hard to say that there's enough of them. And I think that kind of gets into my next question of, you know, you mentioned that there's some encouraging signs, but there's not enough of them. And, there, and there's certainly not enough of them to, you know, to, to be in year three. You'd expect at this point even more progress to be made, more encouraging signs to show up. Guys like Mike Tverdov, more Mike Tverdovs, as you mentioned, kind of show up and make their mark. So that kind of leads to my next question is, you know, what, I guess in your opinion, what kind of changes need to be made? You know, personnel do you start to play your younger players looking forward to 2019 and 2020 and, and, you know, start to get their development going? Do you need to make changes in your coaching staff? I, I mean, I know Jay Neiman has been there uh, as long as Chris Ash has, but, you know, does a change is a change imminent there? Do you need to make a change, uh, you know, at defensive coordinator, at any of the defensive position groups? What needs to be done uh, for this defense and the offense as well to, to help get them back on the right track? How, how does... Chris Ash and and his staff kind of change this and, and show some positive signs in these last six games. Oof, well, <laughs> uh, you know, this schedule, as you know, does not get any easier. I think the bye week uh, after the next two games will be uh, so important to, um, you know, like you said, I think, I think, yeah, giving some younger guys more of a shot makes sense. Um, but I think, you know, something interesting that Ash said yesterday in his press conference, you know, was saying that when things go bad, people just want to make changes. Sometimes it's not making a change. It's just doing things better. Well, that is true. And I, I, I see his point, but I think for me, one thing that's really been missing from this team is they don't seem to have a winning mentality. There's something missing. Uh, and I think you can look at the defense, you know, with the seniors that they have, you know, they, they've shown over time that they can make plays, that they, they can be a solid defense. They're, 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 there's no spirit. There's something lacking there. And, and 
you know, it's it's that to me has been the most troubling part is how they've been losing. You know, against Kansas, I mean, there, there was there was no fight down the stretch in that game. You know, yeah, they they played better against Buffalo in the second half, but let's be honest, I mean, Buffalo took the took the foot off the gas in that second half. You know, they did play better against Indiana in the second half, um, but Illinois. You know, I, I know Ash said there was four or five plays, and that was the difference in the game, but. You know what? Those four or five plays are killing you every single week, and that's what's the difference between being in the game and not, and they're not being corrected. Um, and I think where is that winning mentality coming in? You know, Ash even said himself, you know, there's self-motivating issues on the, on the team. He said that at the end of his press conference. So that, that to me is a red flag. I think it opens up a whole, uh, you know, uh, kit and caboodle of, of what is really going on here. I think it's never one thing, you know, right? There's always multiple things that are going on when a team is underperforming this badly. But on paper, this team shouldn't be as bad as they are. You know, they're not loaded. They they, they have very few four- and five-star recruits, of course. But, listen, they're, they're, it's littered with three-star recruits. So it's not like this team is, you know, uh, um, uh, a ragtag story where they're just the rosters thrown together and and there isn't talent on the team. There's there's talent on this team to at least be competitive, and I think that's the bigger question that that Ash and the coaching staff need to figure out and answer is how how do they get more out of this team? How do they get uh, the best out of them to be able to get whatever their potential is? They're not close to reaching it. So I think that is the hardest question and. Um, you know, obviously, I don't have that answer. I'm not around the team every day, but I think that's where the root of where the coaching staff needs to figure this out. And, and I think you know, you talk about getting the most out of out of your players and out of the talent you have. I think it's all about getting the most right from the beginning. You know, you mentioned a couple times that Rutgers has turned it on in the second half. Well, turning it on in the second half is great, but it's not so great if you're going into the second half down 24 to seven or down you know 35 to six. You need to, if you're down, you know, 14-6 or 14-10, you know, 17-10, it's one thing to turn it on in the second half. Maybe that could propel you to a win. But when you're down by so much uh, going into, you know, the third and fourth quarter, you can turn it on all you want. The fact is you've dug yourself such a big hole that it's, you know, extremely difficult to dig yourself out of. And I, I think that's that's kind of been one of the, the biggest issues I've seen with this Rutgers team under Chris Ash, dating back to, to year one as well. You know, it seems like there have been games where this team just isn't ready to play. And you look back to his first season, I think it was against New Mexico, and I think the second, the other team was Howard, uh, where they were down, I think, 14 nothing and 21 to nothing, and had to dig themselves out of holes. And ultimately yep. ended up coming back and winning those two games. But still, you shouldn't be down at home both those games, 21 nothing and 14 nothing. Then last year, I think a common game that a lot of people like to point to is the Indiana game. Yeah, Indiana was not 40 points or whatever it was, 41 points better than Rutgers last season. Sure, maybe they were a little bit more talented, but 41 points, I know it was bad weather. I know you had to go to Bloomington, but you knew from from uh, right when the game started, as soon as Hunter Hayek muffed that punt, that game was over because Indiana took over, scored a touchdown right away, and, and Rutgers just had no life. And I think you've seen that again this year too. This team is just not ready to play. I think you saw it against Kansas. I think you saw it against Buffalo. You've seen spurts here and there that maybe this team is, you know, going to get a nice drive going, and then they end up killing themselves, and then the opposing team, whoever it is, gains all the momentum early in the first quarter, and, and this team just has no answer. They're, they're not ready to play right away, and it just seems like as soon as the game starts, it takes a couple quarters for them to get their heads in the game, and I think that's been one of the biggest issues for Chris Ash and this staff, you know, all as I said before, dating all the way back to year one. Excellent point, and I, I really have nothing better to add than, than what you said other than the fact that I think for me, being a longtime fan, and I think a lot of other longtime fans, that's really the, the most heartbreaking thing about watching 
Rutgers football right now. We, we've we've rooted for plenty of losing teams. I mean, we've rooted for teams that were supposed to have a winning record and go to a bowl game and finished, you know, four and seven. You know, had disappointing seasons back in the the eighties, the nineties, and even the the two thousands with Shiano a couple of years. You know, but it was it, it, it was still a team that you felt proud about rooting for. And 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 I hate to say that, but it's it's there's literally it's like you're five minutes into the game and hope is gone. And I think that another thing that it's doing is it's putting a lot more pressure on Sikowski because McNulty has said he, he wants to run first. And he's not able to do that when this team falls behind 24-7 every single second quarter. They're down 24-7, it feels like, and he's got to scrap the run game. And I think it's putting more pressure on Sikowski. And I think it would be very interesting to see how he performs if they were able to stay in the game, the whole game, and they were able to execute the run the way they want to execute it, and he was able to respond off of the run game, I think that it would be uh, – I would like to see how he'd perform in that way, and I think it would be a positive. And I think that's kind of an underrated aspect of them getting their doors blown off in the first quarter is it, with a freshman quarterback, yeah, he's going to make mistakes because he, he has to force it a little bit. He's got to overcompensate and try to make some big plays to get the team back in, and you're putting him in low-percentage opportunities that – um, for for someone that inexperienced, it's going to be a problem. So I I, I think you know uh, I guess to defend him in a way I think that that's part of it. But overall, like you're saying, I think that the fact that the lack of fight that you're seeing, that they're not even being competitive against. Let's be honest, Kansas and Illinois, two of the worst Power Five teams in the last decade. More so, Kansas was the worst. Illinois is probably you know the last few seasons have been the worst in the Big Ten. Obviously, that's not the case anymore. It's Both of those titles are probably on records now. I think he, most everyone would say. So I think it, the fact that it's, it's not that, you know, we knew they were going to lose really badly to Ohio State, but losing so badly and not being competitive to do, those two teams, for me, is the biggest red flag of all. And, you know, you mentioned it with, you know, McNulty wanting to run first, but Sikowski getting it put into these, you know, situations that as a true freshman he shouldn't be put into. He had to throw 46 times against Illinois. You know, you shouldn't have your true freshman quarterback go out there and throw the ball 50 times. You need to develop the run. But like you said, you can't do that if after the first quarter you're down 14 nothing or 14-3 and after the first half you're down 24-7. to That just can't happen. That's when you need to throw the ball. But, you know, the defense and, and the team as a whole, because they're just— it, it just seems like it takes them so long to get into the game. They're down so much at the start. That's when Sikowski has to throw the ball, you know, 40, 45, 50 times in a game. And like you said, you know, the interceptions are coming because he's being put in uncomfortable situations. He's being put in situations that, frankly, he really shouldn't be put in, which is leading to, you know, passes that he has to fit into tight windows, passes that he's trying to force because he's trying to force a play being made. You know, he's trying to trying to he's trying to make a play. He's trying to do too much. And, and you know, I, I think we've seen times where he's shown he has the arm talent to kind of, you know, compensate for the lack of, of you know, what everyone around him is doing. But we've also so, uh, seen that as a true freshman, these mistakes sometimes come back to, to bite him and, and to bite the team. So, you know, looking at, at it, as we said before, you know, this team one in five and not much hope going into, obviously, you know, the rest of these six games uh, and the 2019 season. But I just kind of want to get your opinion, a little bit of a broad question, but, you know, in your thoughts, where does this program kind of go from here? And I think this has been the first major adversity that Pat Hobbs has really faced as as athletic director. You know, Chris Ash was his first hire, and right now that hire hasn't really worked out. 
And and I'm sure regardless of what the record is, 111, Chris Ash will be the head coach next year. You know, you don't want to get rid of a coach after three years. He's trying to build, you know, a foundation with this football team, and I think he needs more three. Uh, he needs more than three years to do it. But you know, where where does this program go from here? Where does Pat Hobbs go from here? And, you know, what ends up happening in in your you know mind if you could look forward to the offseason? You know, what what ends up happening with this program? You know, as we get into you know November and, and December going forward. Well, that is the $9.8 million question, isn't it, uh, <laughs> in terms of, of Ash's uh, buyout after this season. Um, it's Listen, this is, uh, this is bad. This is bad. <laughs> There's no way to sugarcoat this. I mean, you're, you're, I, I do agree, and I've, I've been a proponent of this, and I've said since the beginning, Ash needs five years to truly have this rebuild, um, you know, in terms of where it should be. I will say that based on the performance of the first half of this season, you know, you, you can't help but not question that. I mean, I think this is the dilemma that Pat Hobbs has is, okay, yeah, he, he really, any coach inheriting the mess that they did, and, and, and there's no underselling. I mean, Kyle Flood left the program in disarray. So any coach that came in, it was a mess and needs time. That being said, with the results that we're seeing and the, the the regressions, you know, Ash said yesterday on his own in his opening statement, there hasn't been a setback. Uh, respectfully disagree on that one. I think that, you know, the question is, yes, you want to give the coach time, but when you're seeing these types of results, what if that coach isn't the, isn't the guy? And, and, and do you continue down this road and you uh, invest another year to two years in that coach and then you, you realize two years from now, what you could potentially realize right now is that it's not the right coach and we need to move on. Now, yeah, financially, I agree. I think he'll be back next year. But then now Hobbs's work is, in a way, even harder in a sense of how do you keep enthusiasm towards this program? How do you keep uh, you know, the fans' interest? I mean, season tickets have declined year after year uh, in, re- in the last three, three or so years. So, um, I think it's safe to say that if no change is made, yeah, next year you're going to see even more of a decline. Um, how do you do – I mean, the marketing team for Rutgers is phenomenal. The, the, what they do with the sports right now, with the athletic department, online, game day promotions, it's amazing. But how do you have a blackout game that you just had? I mean, obviously it was pre-scheduled, but how do you sit in a room and talk about having a blackout game next year when – listen, let's be honest, it could be worse next year. The, the talent that they are losing, and we don't know what's going to replace it. Uh, it's 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 just it creates a myriad of issues, you know. So I think the the, the hard part of this is that we're, just wait till November. This is going to get you know, and I have in all my writing, and I've been critical of the program, and I I think fairly, um, you know, and I have highlighted some of the positives that Ash has done with the program, you know, uh, facilities wise, I think infrastructure wise, I think that he has been adaptable to a point. But I think that now you're going to get into November, and every week is going to be – it's just going to be a nightmare. And it, it, momentum is going to build so much more negatively. Uh, it, it, there's, it, it's going to be very hard to end this season and, and look ahead to next year and have any, any hope at all. And I, I think that's, that's Hobbs' dilemma on what he does for that and how he can um, you know, assess the situation because it's, it's, a, it's a very difficult uh, position that he's in. But, again, he deserves you know, some blame as well because he ultimately, Ash was his hire, and, uh, and here we are. And, you know, it'll be interesting. Nothing, and you mentioned it, you know, ticket sales and, and, and funds and donations. As soon as the, the revenue starts to go down, that's when, you know, people 
they 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 notice okay maybe a change has to be made and and I'm very interested to see and and I think I I think I know what's coming um but I just don't want to admit it to myself yet but I'm interested to see the I guess ratio of you know especially those two weeks against Penn State and Michigan the ratio of opposing fans to Rutgers fans in those stands because you know Penn State Michigan they have so much alumni or so many alumni excuse me um, on the East Coast in New York City uh, that are within either driving distance or taking the train into this game. And we've seen in the past, even when Rutgers was 8-5 and five that one year in 2014, there were still a lot of Penn State fans at the game, still a lot of Michigan fans at the game. What is the the ratio going to be? I think that's going to, to play a large factor because if it is as bad as I think it very well might be, where it is either 50-50 or even 60-40 in favor of Penn State or 60-40 in favor of Michigan, I think that could really catch the attention of Pat Hobbs and, and the administration in the athletic department. I think that could really lead to to some tough decisions being made. Uh, excellent point. And, and I will say, you know, this is this has the potential leading up to being the most disappointing season that I can ever remember rooting for Rutgers football. And I haven't used the term rock bottom yet because November is still not here. And I, I think you're being generous, to be honest with you. I think the rock bottom, the low point, is going to be senior day against Penn State. And I don't think it's going to be close to 60-40. I think you're talking, who knows, but I, I could see 20,000, 25,000 Penn State fans there. Uh, and, and, and certainly overwhelming the Rutgers fans that are there. And you know what? As, as bad as this team has been, um, you know, the seniors, they, they don't deserve that. They, they've, they've put in a lot of hard work with this program, and, 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 and they're, they're you know, dedicated student-athletes, and it's going to be very sad. I, I, I'm just saying it. It's, it's, uh, you know, that stadium is going to be filled with Penn State fans, and it's uh, on senior day. And I think for me, you know, and, and listen, James Franklin's not coming into to highpoint.com stadium and, and going to, you know, ease off the gas in the second half. He is going to try to do permanent damage to Rutgers on the recruiting trail, and it could get really ugly. And I think that, um, yeah, <laughs> I hate to say there's nothing to look forward to, but that, that November is, uh, you know, uh, a very scary thought, and I think you're right. I think that, that it's only going to build negative perception, momentum, um, and, and it's, it's, Pat Hobbs is just going to be in an even more difficult situation than he is right now. It would certainly be something to to take notice to when it happens to see, you know, what is the, as I said before, the ratio of, of Rutgers fans to Penn State fans and to Michigan fans when those games ultimately come around. Aaron, I want to thank you so much for coming on. And look, you know, uh, this football team has, I'm sure, just as much as the fans are disappointed, I'm sure the people in the program are disappointed. And um, it'll be interesting to see in these last six games against, you know, the upper echelon of the Big Ten, how Chris Ash and the rest of his staff and the players try to turn it around. I want to thank you uh, so much for coming on and uh, giving me some of your time to talk uh, some Rutgers football. Thanks for having me, Lance. You're doing an amazing job, and uh, looking forward to, to the next episodes uh, that you have. And um, uh, hopefully, I can come back for basketball season. But um, yeah, I appreciate it, and uh, it was uh, uh, definitely a, it was, this was a good therapy session for me. I appreciate it. <laughs> Time to make some bets. Here's your host, Lance Glynn. Sports betting is legal in the country and is already up and running in New Jersey, among other states. To talk about this week's line and to give his pick on the Rutgers-Maryland game, I am now pleased to be joined by Poker Pro and On the Banks contributor TJ Yurkevich. TJ, thank you so much for coming on again this week. Happy to be here. So, look, the line opened with Maryland as a 21-and-a-half point favorite, and I believe that it has since increased uh, from when it opened. You know, making Rutgers obviously an even bigger underdog. 
when you saw the line open with the Terps such a heavy favorite, what was your initial reaction considering, you know, this was a team that Rutgers beat last year? Yeah, I mean, this just shows how far uh, down the perception of the program is even among the general public now. You know, the line's up to 25 and a half now, so... Are you at all surprised about that? I mean, 25 and a half points, you know, for, for two Big Ten teams is a lot. But, you know, look, if it were me, I, I would take that 25 and a half for Maryland. Yeah, I mean, Maryland's a really tough team this year. They're, they're still the only team that's beaten Texas. Texas is ranked eighth now. Uh, I know they didn't look that great last week against Michigan, but they're pretty they, – they always got some uh, – some really legit athletes on that team. And especially, you know, they dealt with so many uh, issues off the field. Obviously, it's been well chronicled what's been going on at Maryland. But Matt Canada, the, the interim head coach, uh, he's really, you know, rallied the troops, rallied the team together uh, over all the issues. And, and like you said, Maryland, you know, they have a lot of athletes on, on their team. This is a team that, that could can run the ball, which obviously Rutgers hasn't been able to stop, and a team that could most certainly put up some points. What are your thoughts uh, overall on Maryland? I mean, you just said it yourself. Maryland can really run the ball. I don't know if Ty Johnson's going to play this Saturday, but they have a state, like their running back room is stacked and Rutgers, they can't stop the run right now. And it's just going to be absolutely brutal. And they have a uh, Kaysom Hill and Tyrell Pigron, the quarterback. They can both run. They're both a threat to run. And, uh, you know, this is a huge revenge spot for Maryland too. They're playing for uh, bowl eligibility, and they lost to Rutgers last year. They remember that, and they're going to be out for blood this weekend. So, for those wondering where to put their their money this week, what would you recommend? What's your pick for the game? I am done letting Rutgers get my hopes up, and uh, I'm going to go ahead and take Maryland this weekend minus let's uh, minus twenty four. That's going to be my official line here. So TJ taking Maryland minus 24 against the Scarlet Knights this week. TJ, thanks so much for, again for coming on this week. Look forward to, to doing it next week. No problem, Lance. Follow SB Nation on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation, and you can find out when our next podcast is debuting.